Amen. Psalms 32. If you got a copy of God's Word, turn with me there as we work through one chapter at a time through the book of Psalms. This is, as you find your place, called a mascal of David. This means this is an instruction for us today. An instruction on both what and how that we must repent and turn to our God. This is one of seven psalms that are called penitent, penitent psalms, psalms of repentance. And so let's, this, this Christmas season, let us receive the gift of God's word as we stand to our feet. Psalms 32, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. O God, we have sought to sing the glory of your gospel. Help us to understand the beauty and the blessedness and the gift of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to swim to the depths of the blessedness of your steadfast love for you, for your children. Help us, Lord, now to to understand and to receive and then to stand in a minute and sing of your glory. Of what it means for us to be forgiven. And then to rejoice in the very lives you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in Christmas seasons, we all sort of come to church over the next couple of weeks expecting to have a Christmas-themed sermon. We will next week, and 
today by God's sovereign grace and his points us to his word today. This is a Christmas sermon. Because Christmas, there's a message. I thought about when I pulled up this morning, we have all this written on our glass of joy and peace and those things. We need to understand that Christmas tells a story of how God came to deal with our sin. And without him dealing with our sin, there is no joy There is no peace. It is not well. But because he has, we can say it is well. Matthew 1, turn with me. I want us to read this together. There's no more important passage for us to teach to ourselves and to our families and to our children than Matthew 1.21. You got it? Let's read it together. Matthew one twenty one, beginning in verse 21 here. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's Christmas. That's why we're blessed this morning. So I want us to start here this morning. I want us to ask ourselves the question, if, listen, if any time during the sermon you start thinking about someone else, you've missed the point of the sermon. You've missed the Psalms. This, I'm not talking to somebody else this morning. I'm talking to me. And God's Word is not talking to someone else. It's talking to you. So how this morning? What are you believing about sin? What are you believing about your sin? We all whether we say it or not, have something going on inside of us about our sin. Am I saying sin is just sort of a made-up religious idea? There's not any real sin. There's only cultural differences and things that each culture makes up to safeguard its culture. There's not really any sin. Maybe sin equals something evil, and because I'm not sleeping around or killing anybody, then I'm not really sinning. Is that our view of sin? Maybe we're saying inside, I know I sin, but I like it. I mean, I don't do it when I'm around godly people, but when I'm not around godly people, I really enjoy it. It, I really delight in it. Maybe it's, I know I sin, but I'm not too concerned about it because besides, God is love and nobody's perfect. Or maybe you're like David was in Psalms at one point in time. I I know I sin, but I'm miserable. I'm miserable in my sin. I think about my sin all the time. It is a weight I can't get out from under. That's where David was at one point in his life. Or maybe you have bought this lie. My sin is unforgivable. So what's the use? To that, Christmas has good news for you this morning. You see, David's reflecting. You ought to understand this. David's reflecting back. And David doesn't write psalms in a linear fashion. He's just fine with doing these circular things where he 
talks about a situation in the past. He steps back into it in his mind, and then steps back out on it, reflects again. That's what he's doing. He's reflecting back. Most people think what he's reflecting back to was when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband, Uriah. He's reflecting on a time of both non-confession and confession. A time that brought both joy and a time that both brought misery. He's reflecting on it. And so he writes a psalm of instruction about that. So there was a time in David's life after he sinned that he was miserable. And I think we need to ask the question, after he sinned, why was he so miserable? I'm concerned that people think the reason he was miserable was simply maybe the consequences of his sin or or merely his guilty conscience, which is true. Here's what he wants you to instruct you today. The hand of God was making him miserable in his sin. We need to see that this morning. (laughs) The hand of God was on him. I'm afraid that many of us are more concerned about escaping the consequences of our sin than offending God. And what he's reflecting on is what he has learned from Psalms 51. You remember Psalms 51? He wrote that as part of his confession of repentance, of his sin. Psalms 51 verse 4. Oh, how David learned this lesson. Against you and you only have a sin and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Our sin is against a holy God. That's why he was miserable. And so what most people believe Psalms 32 is written after Psalms 51, after a time of reflection, reflecting back on his whole experience. He wants us to learn. He wants to fulfill. If you read Psalms 51 verse 13, most people think Psalms 32 is a fulfillment of that. He wants to instruct God's people. On what this looks like and the blessedness and the hope that comes from forgiveness of sin and living and abiding in the steadfast love of our Lord. There's a depth to the blessedness of being a Christian. There's a depth and I want you to see it this morning. So let's look at this. This is a beautiful literary work here. He uses devices to help us understand that trust the Lord of what the blessed looks like to trust the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. He puts his in threes all the way through here. So first, he's remember, he's thinking back. Forgiveness and repentance, as restoration has already happened in his life. He's thinking back on that. Look at verse 1 and 2. Oh, how many sermons could we preach on simply the first two verses? It's glorious. Listen, look, in, look at it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is Covered, blessed is the man on whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You see that? The three, he uses three different words to describe the same thing of our sin. And he uses three different things that the Lord does to that sin. This is good. That's what happens. This is reflective. This this almost Trinity-like description reflects an absoluteness of the divine forgiveness. Look at it. I need you to understand this though. Before we start looking at it, understand. Forgiveness is not a sham. 
The forgiveness of God is not me telling you enough and you believing enough where you can make up in your mind that this is actually true. It's not. Hebrews 9.22 says this very clearly. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We can think what we like, but without Christ, there is no hope because without His blood, we cannot be forgiven. So, it's not a sham. This is real blessed. This is real blessedness this morning. He's saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You see what he calls sin there? He calls it a transgression. He said it's forgiven. Transgression equals rebellion. And so when you hear the word transgression, which equals rebellion, you have to ask, rebellion against what? Better, rebellion against who? He said, but this rebellion against God, what we'll see is against God's standards, is forgiven. Forgiven means to lift up. It's, it's to remove something that's on you. Remember Pilgrim's Progress and Christian who has a burden on him. If you haven't ever read that book, you need to. You could even watch it now. There's <laughs> all kind of movies out there. You can watch it if you don't want to read it. But you need, there's a burden on him. He can't remove it. This is what sin does. Sin is a burden. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Verse 25. It's a consistent message for God's people. Listen to the Lord. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Oh, that's good news. He's saying I will... Take your rebellion, and I will lift it off of you. But now that he's not done. He's saying, bless the one whose sin is covered. He uses the word sin here. Now, we're familiar with this one. If you've been around a church very much, this is missing the mark. This means failing to live up to God's standards. You are a rebel against God because you have not lived up to the standards of God. He said forgiveness is removing the load of that. Look at what he also is saying. It's covered. This word covered means hidden. It's hidden. From who? You see, if you don't get it right to start with, you miss the power of that. It's hidden from God. He removes it. It's to put out your sin from God's sight. Because, see, your sin is a sin against Him. It is He we have a problem with. And He's the blessedness of forgiveness that He lifts off, lifts the load of our rebellion and our missing His standards. And He hides it. He puts it out of His own sight. It's good. Oh, if we had time, we'd go into the Day of Atonement and all that would happen with all of this that pictures the work of Christ. He covers it. He removes it. Doesn't see it. Oh, I have prayed for verse 2 this week. Oh, that you would understand what it means to have the righteousness of God imputed to you. Oh, how blessed you would be. If we could understand, blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. 
This word iniquity is another word for sin. It means corrupt, twisted, crooked, perverted. We take, we take what is right and good and we flip it on his head. We are rebels who miss the mark, who take even the good things and corrupt them because we do them in our sin. We do the right things for the wrong reasons, so we corrupt the good deeds even with what we do. He says, I will not count. I will not impute this. This is future. Impute here in two senses. Impute here in two senses. It is to charge guilt upon the guilty in a judicial, in a legal way, in the view of him, that person, being punished for it. Here, guilty in view of punishment. But oh, you got to listen to me now. Lean into me. Love God with our minds right now. Impute means to hold one liable in, in, the, in a court of law for the acts of his representative. You can turn there if you want. It's a very hard book to find because it's only one page in your Bible. Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave and had encountered Paul and had been saved. And Paul's writing back to Philemon. Sort of maybe, sort of help us understand this. Listen to verse 18. Paul writes to Philemon about Onesimus, this redeemed slave that, he, that has been led to Christ. And here's what he says. If, he says, Philemon... If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. You see what he's doing? He's standing in his place. He said, whatever he's cost you, whatever his effect is, it count it to me. I'll pay it all. Remove it from him. Charge it to me. Count it to my account. Here's what he's saying about our sin. I won't. Ever. But you got to understand this, you see. Adam stood as your representative at the beginning of time, and Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned as your representative, his sin was counted to you. You say, Pastor, that ain't fair. Can't you hear it? That ain't, that's not fair. Okay? Well, let me take you to another place. Go to the cross for with me in your minds where the better Adam stood as your representative. Why? Because you couldn't live perfectly and you must. You missed the mark. And it was not hidden from God. And so Christ came in your place. He lived a perfect life for you. He stood on that tree and your sin is now counted to Him. And He was punished as a transgressor for you. And on that time now, in faith in Christ, He counts His righteousness to you. Now listen, that's not fair. But listen, that's grace. That's the gospel. That's why you're blessed. That's what he's saying. I will never count sins against you again. This is why Paul would get so excited. He quoted this. He quoted in Romans 4. Turn with me. Romans 4, 4. Oh, oh this is good. This is why Paul wanted to make sure that we are saved. We all, everybody understood we're saved by grace and not by works. Romans 4, 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If, if you could work for your salvation, your salvation would be just what to do you for your work. But you can't work for your salvation. So you must put your faith in Christ and to those that are. That's what he's saying in verse 5. It's counted as righteousness. It's imputed to you. Just as David also speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work says, look at verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is the blessing. And he is saying now as I I reflect back on all that God has done, I remember his forgiveness. And he has removed it. And he never brings it up to me again. But all, listen to me, There is a response from God from your non-confession. And I'm afraid we don't believe that. That we see that God responds when we confess our sins. But we do not believe He responds when we don't. The Lord actively responds to both. Most people believe that there was somewhere between 3 and 18 months between the time that David sinned with Bathsheba from the time that Nathan the prophet confronted him. Here's what we do know. You can look at 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven that the baby that was conceived through that adulterous encounter was born. And David still hadn't re- repented of it. That's why Nathan the prophet comes to him. So we know there was at least nine months. Let's just round it to a year. Let's just say for for estimation's sake that David lived in non-confession for a year. What he's describing here for us is what that that year was like. It's what verse 3 to 5 is saying. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all the day long. In other words, the result of non-confession was I could not sleep, I could not eat, Verse 4, I didn't have any strength. This is physical effects from non-confession. Be gracious to me. Psalm 6-2, listen to what it says. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. This is groaning, this threefold. He's wasting away, one. Two, he's continuous. You see it, he's groaning all day long. Lord, this is, this is not going away. So anybody that thinks during that time that David, David thought in his own mind he could just move on. He could just put a ring on Bathsheba's finger now that, that, that the husband was dead and everything's okay. The reality was what he is teaching us, it never was okay. He's saying, I wasn't okay during that time. I was miserable. Couldn't get away from it. Students are studying Ecclesiastes. This is what the preacher, most people think of Solomon, is saying. Misery was continuous. The weight was unbearable. Good verse 4. For day and night, you need to underline these two words, your hand was heavy upon me. 
There's a blessedness to the discipline of God. Oh, how sad it is when God's hand is not on you. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Why was he so miserable during that year? Because the hand of God was on him. You're in sin. Your sin's against me. And you're my son. And I will not leave you alone. God's hand was revealed to him by removing any comfort from his body, any comfort from his mind until he repented. And here's now he steps back out of that. He remembers David's recalling. What does this look like then when David repented? David wants you to know three things. I acknowledged my sin. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. Two. I did not cover my iniquity. Three. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Equals. You forgive me. You see that? Acknowledgement. What does that mean? I revealed it. I revealed it. Verse 2. Look. Look back at verse 2. There must be sincerity to the repentance. You cannot deceive God by offering a false repentance that does not look like I'm changing my mind in my direction. God is not deceived by people who are only sorry for the consequences that they keep inflicting on themselves and other people. Repentance must be sincere. Here's what he's saying in a second. It's tied to it. Sincerity revealing. I'm not going to cover it anymore. In other words, just because you don't want people to see who you're texting and you delete the text, just because you don't want to see your wife to know you're looking at pornography and so you delete the history, that is not repentance. It's not. It's hiding your sin. And as long as you hide it, you you, you are not repented of it and you are not forgiven of it. This is the blessedness that He's wanting us to see. Stop hiding. Stop covering your sin. It quenches the work of the Holy Spirit in the church of God. And it has an effect on your life and the lives of people who love you. And worse, it is against God. So He says, I'm going to reveal it. I acknowledge it. I refuse to hide it anymore. And I'm going to confess it. That's out loud. I'm going to confess it to the Lord. 1 John 1. We love this, don't we? Every time we, before we come to the tables and celebrate communion, we always read this text. If we say we have no sin, 1 John 1, 8. We deceive ourselves. Listen, you're blame shifting your sin on someone else this morning is just self-deception. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 is good news to Christians today. That's what he wrote this for. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word's not in us. Listen to me this morning. It's the good news of what he's saying. I acknowledged it. I refuse anymore to hide this. Not one day longer. Not one day longer. I acknowledged it to God. I confessed it out loud to the Lord. This is sin against you. And here's what He promises. I forgive you completely, immediately, 
and I will not bring it up to you again. Little sidebar here. Application. Am I forgiving others the way this Jesus is forgiving you? A what if forgiveness is not forgiveness. I forgive you, but what if you blow it again? Can I ask you a question? What if Jesus did that to you? The truth is, I do blow it again. And He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's good news this morning. Here's what we were learning with the students this week. Happiness is not a goal to be pursued. Happiness is a byproduct of a right relationship with the Creator. In other words, as long as your happiness has a capital H, it is your goal. But as happiness is anything else other than Christ, it will elude you. The key to living in joy, to experiencing what's next, the steadfast love of God is a right relationship with Him. So, look down with me at verse 10. And I know we all want to go to verse 6. We think, want to think, I can just go right to verse 6. But the key to understanding this last section is in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love, here's the word, here's the image you need to put in your mind. The steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Do you see that? Sin separates. Sin isolates. Forgiveness restores. It, it removes the barrier out of the way and puts it out of his mind. It doesn't exist. It brings us back. Now we need to know now. Steadfast love surrounds you, child of God. So now I'll go back to, up to verse 6. Therefore let everyone who is godly that means everyone who is holy, merciful, and good. This is oftentimes used when it's in the plural saints, God's people. Therefore, everyone who is God's people, offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. This is good news. He said, Lord, this is good news. He's telling us this is good news, so confess and be forgiven. Listen to Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the for wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. Why? That He may have compassion on him, and to our God who will abundantly pardon. It's good news. The blessed life is a surrounded life. The blessed life is a surrounded life. And so what he's doing now is he's going deeper. This is, this is the Christian scuba gear as it will. And now we're going deeper into the ocean of God's grace. And now we're looking around and what do we see? We see that we are surrounded by threefold protection and threefold wisdom. Verse 7, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I'm back in Psalms 32 now. Hiding place. He's saying, Lord. In other words, just like happiness has a capital H, hiding place has a capital H too. 
He is our hiding place. Psalms 31.20. Psalms 31.20. David talks about this all the time. Can't hardly read a psalm without hearing some kind of offensive or defensive protection. <coughs> Psalms 32. I mean Psalms 31, sorry. Verse 20. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from strife of tongues. There was a time when my kids, my two younger kids, could not speak English, where the only thing they knew of Jesus was that it was something you did before you ate with your hands and before you went with your bed, but they knew not anything about our Jesus. I want you to see this today. God's church is supposed to be our hiding place. God's church is supposed to be the place where His people are preserved. You are the hands and feet. You told my kids about Jesus. Do you understand that? It's how we're blessed. You know more about Jesus than you did a year ago. You've been given the privilege to open His Word and know it and teach it to other people and have grown from it in this Christmas season. Hear me. If you're in trouble and if you're in need, God has given you a family to help. This is what He's talking about. We are His body. And He's provided it for His kids to be a source of protection. See this word preserving? Does you preserve me from trouble? It means that God himself is keeping watch over his kids. He's guarding them. It's where trouble means affliction or even anxiety. He's guarding them. I love this word surrounding. We're back to that word again. It's in verse 10. You know what that means? This has the picture. Put the battle of Jericho in your mind. You remember he told God's people to march around that city? This is a positive picture of that. That God, in victorious song, marches around your very soul. And who can snatch it out of His hand? Answer, nobody. Our Lord surrounds us. With shouts of deliverance. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. We know this. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So when someone or something, even yourself, reminds you of your sins of yesterday, you cling to the cross because if Christ don't remember it, neither should you. This is the freedom that should guard your very mind and your very soul in Jesus Christ. I am His. I have been forgiven from that sin. And it is gone. Rock of age is cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed be a sin, a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. 
Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, while my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The Lord is your absolute divine protection. You're blessed. He's not done. Dig deeper. Swim deeper. And here's what you're going to see. That God in His sovereign steadfast love gives you threefold wisdom to pursue. David encouraged us in our blessed journey now towards wisdom and godliness. Uses the word threefold, instruct, teach, counsel. The Lord Himself loves His kids so much that He has designed it to where He can speak directly to you. He's given you His words. Talked about this with our kids. The Word of God. The Word that belongs to God. He gives us His Word. He puts the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us of sin and leads us to delight in Him more than to delight in that sin. Here's what He's saying. David's encouraging his people to hear from God. And remember you've seen those pictures of Jesus. Sometimes people paint to where the, the children are sitting around at his feet. That's us. Here's what he's saying. Isn't it better to sit at the feet of Jesus and to delight in Him and to learn from Him than to spend all your life on His knee getting a spanking? He's saying repent, be forgiven, and dig deeper that He wants you to know Him. That's why we study the Bible. We don't study in the Bible to, to win arguments. We study the Bible to know God. And I hope you feel that as being part of Battleground this morning. That that's my goal for you, is to know Him. Matthew Henry says this, Those are best able to teach others the grace of God, who have themselves had the experience of it. And those who are themselves taught by God, ought to tell others what He has done for their souls. So your growth group lesson is going to look at Colossians 3, 12 to 15. We're not going to go there, the growth group is. To go even deeper into this blessed life and how it looks like godliness and peace with each other. Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight says. Remember Jesus says this, come to me. All who will labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Listen, what did he say? Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in the heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and burden is light. So here's his encouragement for us this morning. is in verse 9. I'm glad we're not reading the King James this morning. I'm not sure how, that, how it defines a mule. But here's what he's saying. Don't be a mule. <laughs> here's what he's saying. Don't be a horse. Don't be a mule. Why? Because half the time, the only reason they go the way you want them to go is because they got a bit in their mouth. 
And because you have to point to them, if you take it out, they're going to go where they want to go. He says, don't be that way. Through the encouragement this morning is don't be stubborn in your non-confession. Repent and be forgiven and sit in His feet and learn from Him. Delight in Him. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that is, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father. I have made known to you. They have followed him. That's what discipleship is, is teaching people how to follow Christ. They have done that. He says, you're no longer serving your friends. So sit at my feet, learn from me, follow me, lead other people to me. The encouragement this morning is in verse 10. Don't be surrounded by sorrow when you could be surrounded by the steadfast love of God. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. So hear me today. You cannot fix a vertical problem with horizontal means. What am I saying? I mean today, if you have offended someone in your family, or someone in your family has offended you, yes, you should go to them. Seek peace as, as much as possible as it pertains to you, as able for you to do. But listen, if you do not seek vertical forgiveness and confession, you have missed it. We confess our sin to the Lord, and that is first. And then as much as able for us, we make peace with all people. This is what John Bunyan was trying to help us understand in Pilgrim's Progress. I mentioned that earlier. By the way, he wrote this from prison. See, he knew the law. He knew his sin. He realized that there was a burden on his back that he could not remove on his own. He realized that something outside of him must remove the burden that was on him. He needed to exchange it. He couldn't remove it. Do you remember this crucial moment in Krishna's life? When he comes to the cross. Listen to this. He ran thus till he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place to the cross. And a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream... That just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from his shoulders and fell off of his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so until he came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. That's forgiveness. Sins removed. He goes into the grave with Christ and never comes out. And so Christian sings a song of deliverance. Thus far did I come. Laden with my sin. Nor could I ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall off from my back. Must here the strings that bound 
It to me crack. Blessed cross. Blessed sepulcher. Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Oh, the blessedness. Have you experienced this blessedness? If you haven't, acknowledge your sin to God. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ today and He will remove the weight and He will replace it with His righteousness and He will surround you with His steadfast love. Are you enjoying this today? Or have the things of this life Driven it far from you. We have all got to a point in our life where the waves wouldn't stop. And you would say, I have lost the joy of my salvation, God. And so I tell you today that God has given the blessedness of repentance and forgiveness to restore the joy of your salvation. Psalms 32 verse 11, we close with this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's pray, brothers and sisters, and then let us, the redeemed, stand up and rejoice. God, what a good news today, this Christmas season, that we all need it. No matter where we are, no matter whether, whether one is lost and without Christ, without God in this world today, you have provided a Savior, is Christ the Lord. All oh, that you would bring repentance to them today. And for us, Lord, who are your kids, and we're still sometimes all the time messing up, Lord. Sometimes we just get pulled down and we lose the joy of what it means to follow you. Lord, forgive us for being distracted from the beauty of knowing you, the privilege of leading other people to know you. And so, Lord, we thank you now that if we have repented, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so, Lord, now as that swelling of the grace of God in us, Lord, now would you receive our worship as a pleasing sacrifice to you. For you are worthy of our glory. And Lord, we give you what we have, all of us. And right now, Lord, would you receive the voices of your people as we stand in worship of the only God that saves. And we pray in the name of the only one given among men whereby we can be saved. In his name, is Jesus. Stand with us and let us sing.